Hi, I'm Rachel Bernstein. I'm an educator and licensed marriage and family therapist, and I'm also known as a cult expert. And I've worked with victims of cults and high control groups for over 30 years. I was personally drawn to this work after a family member was indoctrinated into Scientology. I'd like to take a moment to tell you about my podcast, Indoctrination. I created the show to help survivors tell their stories and for experts to teach us what they know. My goal for Indoctrination is to empower the listeners to protect themselves and to protect those they love from predators, toxic personalities, and destructive organizations. Since I started the podcast, I've interviewed over 200 survivors and experts and journalists who took the time to come on to cover dozens of different high control groups and cults from a variety of different angles. You can listen to Indoctrination for free anywhere podcasts are available with new episodes dropping every Wednesday. Is it time for a mind shift? If you don't know what that means, then join your host, Dr. Clint Haycock, a former evangelical Christian pastor and Bible college teacher of over 20 years, along the journey of deconstruction and reconstruction of faith, life, religion, and spirituality. I'm talking today with Emily Page, an abuse survivor, and this is quite an interesting story, fascinating story of surviving in a Doug Wilson-inspired environment. So welcome, Emily, to MindShip Podcast. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, so we've had a little bit of issues there. You're down in Australia. How long have you been living down in the Sydney area? Almost. Oh, no, I just hit four years a couple weeks ago. Oh, wow. Have you got your citizenship and all that? Are you never going back to America? Uh, never going back. I'm working on it. Um, going through the paperwork, getting my um, permanent residency sorted and citizenship from there. That's right. So we have one thing in common. We're, bo- we're both expats. I'm over here in the UK. I've been here 17, 18 years. I've done, I did my citizenship last year. So yes, we're never going back to America. Just, I mean, before we get into your story, what is it that, you know, you, you say you don't want to go back to America. What is it that makes you want to stay down in Australia? It's just so much more relaxed hmm. in, so, in every way. Better quality of life. Better quality of life. Better protections, I think, for employees, for people at mm-hmm. every level level of society. It's just a really good place to live. It is. You don't have mass shootings. That's one thing we don't have here in the UK either. And they've had over 200 in America. Yeah. Which was quite a drama. It turns out it was like people that have been listening to Christian extremist stuff oh. online. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Whatever. So I guess that happens. We've had a thing. terrorism, but not much. It's no. thankfully. Nothing like it is in the yeah. state. Yeah, I think I read the other day that we had another mass shooting and there was, we've had something like 249 mass shootings in America since January. You know, more than there have been days in the year of 2023. And we don't have that here in the UK. We don't have guns. You guys took away the guns in Australia years ago after a big mass shooting. And of course that won't happen in America, but yeah, it is what it is. Yeah, it's. It's kind of mind blowing to be honest. It is. It is. It, I was doing the research on it, and it's the number one cause of death for people, um, yeah. teenagers. It is. Yeah. Past auto accidents. Mm-hmm. Now, that's crazy. Yeah, the statistics are absolutely unbelievable. But anyway, I know we're talking about living in abroad, living in Australia or the UK. You grew up though in a small rural town 
in, I guess it was in Idaho or was that where you went to school? I went to school in Idaho, right? but I grew up in Pomeroy, Washington. It's a little tiny town just across the border. Right. And we actually flew in to go to the Doug Wilson school. So was it, did you, did you go to school? Was it in Moscow? Was that where the school was located? Yeah. Right. It so was was it the Logos school? It was. It's Logos. Right. So that's the school that was started by Doug Wilson. I mean, how long has it? How long has the school been going? It's it's been going on many, many, many years, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's like the eighties that it started. Right. Um, so, what size of a school would you talk? Three, four hundred students, bigger than that. It was pretty small. My class was twenty five. Right. So, what made your parents decide? I mean, I read your article on Medium. It's absolutely fascinating. I mean, that you couldn't just drive because you lived so far away. You had to fly on a little Cessna plane. That must have set you apart from your fellow learners, but. What was it that made your parents decide, hey, we're going to send Emily to this school, you know, over 100 miles away from our home in a, in an airplane? Yeah. I mean, it's a little bit crazy. I think it's too because my sister had some learning disabilities mm-hmm. and really struggled in school. Uh, so we ended up going to a different uh, Christian school in uh, Lewiston, Clarkson Valley for our junior high, for my junior high. Right. But that school ended in eighth grade. And after that, my parents had to figure out what to do next. And they wanted to continue the Christian education route. And that was pretty much the main option for high schools. Mm-hmm. She had limited options. That area, yeah. Yeah, you're in a very rural area. So what was it about? I was thinking about, okay, you got Doug Wilson. He starts Logos School. It's part of this ACCS wasn't that right? It was Association of Christian and Classical Schools, something like that? Yeah, Classical Christian Schools. Right, Classical Christian School. What is it about a Classical Christian School model that's supposedly superior to other ones? They've got that whole trivium. I've been mm-hmm. the spiel many times. Oh, yeah. Let's hear it. The, the, lo- the grammar for the elementary students, the logic for uh, the middle schoolers, and that rhetoric period for the high schoolers. So I came in during that rhetoric and missed the logic. It was... It was interesting. My first class in uh, university, my first writing course was on bullshit. It was a bit eye-opening going back and be like, oh. Right. So a lot of what I learned um, would be the bullshit. Um, oh, yeah, that, there is that. It was it was an interesting, it was how to argue. I wasn't always arguing in the most rational way. It's how to win the argument in many ways. Mm-hmm. So was it supposed to be, it's not necessarily like a medieval model. It's going all the way back to like Greek and Roman times. Cause I understand they either Latin and everything else. I mean, what, what, what's yeah. a kid need Latin for in this day and age? Oh, it's such a waste of time. Um, <laughs> so you don't remember any of it? I, I looking back, my, my education was awful. Like when I come, right. when I came out of it, it was my public school educated partner here in Australia that pointed out to me, not only that the Australians fought in Vietnam war, but that America lost it. Oh, right. Wait, we lost the war? What? <laughs> what are you we, talking we about? We lost the Vietnam War. I, wow. Uh, We're told that we won? Written, well, I think we just have such a leap. Oh, right. Done now. Okay. Uh, there's all those nasty protesters. Uh, oh, right. So they had they had written their own history curriculum, which included omitting the fact that we lost the Vietnam War. And also slavery was a big one. It was quite interesting. Ah, uh, yes. I- I've done a lot of work on this. I'll never forget. <laughs> yes. So we talked about this. Um, I'm doing a podcast coming up on Southern slavery as it was. This is, of course, the book that Doug Wilson and Stephen Wilkins wrote, I think it was back in 1996, kind of a biblical defense of slavery. Were you exposed to that as well? 
Oh, very much so. All right. Was that part of your curriculum? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was part of the curriculum that had been mm-hmm. written for that school by the, one of the teachers that was very different from obviously what you get in public school, right? England things. Yeah. Uh, and like one of my teachers, I remember going over to our house for some sort of school event, had like a massive portrait of Robert E. Lee above their dining room table and like Confederate flags. So I was one teacher. Another teacher, I, I still remember those class over there. Like my family, I'm farmers. And the teacher like asked me how much a combine harvester cost when it was about half a million dollars for combine yeah. harvester. They're pretty expensive pieces of equipment. So wouldn't you be mad if the government tried to take combine? So well, yes, obviously we'd be mad if the government was confiscating our combine. Well, that was what was happening in the Civil War. The government was coming in and confiscating the harvest machines of the Whoa. South. <laughs> Wow. So, yeah. Okay. Unbelievable. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that went on with that. And and that's my biggest concern, aside from the clear racism and sort of revisionist history of it all, is the fact that generations of young Christian school children are being raised with that sort of worldview. Because it's also, uh, did you have the omnibus curriculum or was that written yet? Yes, yes, we did. Right. Because there's a lot of flaws with that. And I know there's stuff on slavery in the omnibus curriculum, which which kind of parallels either black and tan or Southern slavery as it was. So yeah, really problematic stuff, isn't it? Yeah. And there was definitely some racist elements mm-hmm. in this school. We had one black student in my class and she coughed a bit of it. I remember one time she fell into the big class. The teacher goes, oh, it's okay. I can't see her when the lights are off. Wow. Just okay. making right. And so or we, we obviously as students would copy that and make racial jokes. And at one point I remember her calling us out. I mean, like, you know, that's hurtful, right? Wow. Which was a bit of an eye-opening moment. I mean, I imagine. I'm a teenager. Right. So yeah, on the one level, your education isn't great. I can identify with that because I went to a real small Christian school in the Seattle, Washington area. I grew up in a very kind of fundamentalist household. And by the time I got to high school, I would re- I realized that, yeah, my education in this tiny Christian school was really, really lacking because even the Christian school, there was about three or 400 students, as opposed to this really tiny, small Christian school I'd gone through up to year eight or eighth grade. And I was way behind academically and took me probably two years to kind of catch up to where the other students were. So yeah, I can identify with that. Just because it's a Christian school does not in any way mean that you're going to get a superior education. If anything, a lot of t- it's an inferior education, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's super frustrating. It's like my parents sacrificed a lot for us to go to that school. Yeah, they, same here. We traveled a lot. They spent a lot of money, more money than they probably could afford for us to go to that school. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we really suffered education. Um, yeah. It's been difficult in the tech world, not being allowed to use computers, really in school, and mm-hmm. not having access to the internet in school. Yeah. There's been some learning curves coming out as an adult and yeah. into the real world. Put you way behind. Well, I noticed that even what my last job, I got, I had to do level one and level two maths and English. And I had all my Bible college stuff that I did didn't count for getting me out of those exams. I had to take basically a high school equivalency exam in this country to get my level two. And I'm thinking, what I even going to Bible college didn't even prepare me for the real world. You know, it's a degree in nothing. They didn't accept my transcripts. <laughs> you know, so it's very frustrating all the time, all the money. Moment. It really is. That sinking feeling when you're handing somebody your transcript from university and they go, I don't know what this means, you know, but you're going to have to do it yeah. anyway, you know. My sister's oh, going back right now. She's going back to school and she went to Douglas, St. Andrew's school. Oh, boy. 
and realized having leaving that school, she ended up dropping out. She had her a bit of a deconstruction during COVID oh. and dropped out of that and got away. But then trying to go to another university and actually get her education, she's like, mm-hmm. I don't have an associate's degree. I don't have anything. Like yeah. I don't actually have an education. So it's, it's true. You don't. Because I used to teach at a small Bible college over here in this country. And one of my learners, he finished his bachelor's degree. Well, I say in air quotes, bachelor's degree. And then he went, he wanted to go on and do a PGCE, which is like a one-year master's degree to go into high school teaching. And they told him that his degree wouldn't, didn't count at all. Yeah. They said, we, we cannot, uh, you know, get you onto the PGCE program because your degree doesn't, it's, it doesn't mean anything. And he was seriously disillusioned. He's like, three years of my life, all that money, literally yeah. wasted, literally wasted. So yeah, it's a frustration. But then on top of all that, you had to endure. This is the main thing we want to talk about. Obviously, you had a very horrific experience there in the school. Can you take us through what happened? How did it kind of go down? Yeah. So because I lived so far away, uh, we would study in the classrooms after school and my sister's um, had the full class day in junior year. I had a couple of free periods at the end of the school school day. So I would just hang out, study, get all my homework done before traveling home. Because by the time I managed to get home, it took like an hour 40 to buy by car. Um, and we also flew in our little status nap, which was probably one of the highlights of my education, probably. Yeah, the one few. Uh, yeah, one of the few highlights. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that took about 30, 45 minutes. So it still was a bit of a trek to yeah. home. So by the time I got home at night, I was exhausted. So I tended to do my schoolwork right then and there as soon as I finished the school day. So we did it over with. Didn't have to carry my books. Mm-hmm. And it was just, it was just efficient. Yeah, it made sense. And it made sense. It, yeah, <laughs> it was pretty practical, really. Mm. And I ended up studying in the classroom of the teacher I had in the previous period because that classroom was that open. So I just sat down in that classroom, didn't leave just did my work there. And sometimes there were other students that would do the same. You could also go out to like school auditorium, but generally most students were socializing. They weren't there to get work done. Um, mm-hmm. The elementary school students come in and be very loud. And I feel like I have to explain this, yeah. justify my choice. I, I don't, but I feel like I do because I was criticized for it quite a bit later. Um, but during that period, the teacher in that, Fashion started grooming me and hmm. started, yeah, started developing this relationship with me. I kind of saw him as a mentor and as a father of the year. But at some point during spring, my junior year, spring, just before Christmas and then spring, that relationship started to turn physical or he didn't have that kind of thing and um, started texting me or messaging me over Facebook Messenger. Some of these, what I felt were kind of innocent messaging exchanges and the hugs and stuff didn't strike me as particularly odd because it was pretty normal. I think I mentioned in my blog, the superintendent, um, John Garfield, would come up and he would rub the shoulders mm-hmm. and the students. So look up the girls, most of the attractive girls. Ah, uh, yeah. And he'd come up behind you and you'd be at lunch and you just start rubbing your shoulders. And Yeah, highly inappropriate for sure. It was real weird. It was real inappropriate. Just kind of... It just feels normal. Like, yeah, it becomes normalized. Yeah, and that happened since I was like 14. So he just came up and he rubbed my shoulders. And that was just what happened. At okay. School. Yep. And it never occurred to me that that was odd. It's a thing I'd seen him do it to other girls, he did it to me. It was just 
Yeah, you were just one of the few, you know, one of the many that was ha- was happening too. Yeah, and then when things started to get physical with Jim Nance, who was the teacher that I was mm-hmm. studying in his classroom, and he was the church doctor and teacher, my rhetoric teacher, and then later um, in my senior year, he did my calculus and physics teacher. Uh, so things started to become physical, started to talk more and more on the phone. Um, over the summer, he asked to meet with me. And I met up with him, had coffee with him. At this point, it wasn't like overtly sexual. I mean, it was actually, no, it was as false. He yeah, you know. were being groomed. Yeah. I was being groomed. He, yeah. he felt me up, um, but it hadn't gotten to the point of being super extreme, not enough for me to have the red flags. Mm-hmm. So I was pretty slow, I think, in my internet to realize what was happening. And it was pretty early into my senior year that things started to ramp up pretty quickly. We had a physics trip, and he was the physics teacher that we went on in, to Seattle and stayed. And he was like playing the two at the end of the table, he kept pull, pulling me off the side. And he started doing this thing. I was like, oh, give a random thing appropriately. You spend time with me. And so I would try to avoid him, but then he would pull me aside and pull me away from my friends wouldn't really let me do the normal things and hang out with the other students, just always had me off with him by himself. So it was pretty apparent what was going on. Mm-hmm. And one of the other parents, who's also the school secretary, saw what was going on, realized what was going on, and turned him into the school, which resulted in somebody coming in and talking to him and telling him not to do that. And that was it. Mm. So that was it. Uh, that was it. No, that was the extent of it. To. Yeah, no one came and spoke to me. No one spoke to my parents. She didn't make a complaint, had told the administrat- school administration, and it was probably Sean Garfield that had gone in and had a conversation with Matt Whitling, had a conversation with him, told him to stop singling me out, to not act in it really, not to touch me, blah, blah, blah. And he had just, after that, things ramped up really fast. Mm-hmm. Um, it, yeah, it became, it, at that point, it became a secret. Which mm. I thought he basically he put that on me. Like I had gotten him in trouble. I was responsible. I thought that I had messed up in some way on that physics trip. So I was panicking. And then every time we interacted, it had to be like this secret. And because it was in the dark, things were able to progress much more quickly. Mm. That point he, he was full blown like molesting me. Mm. I know this is a painful story, isn't it? It really is. I, I really admire your courage in coming forward with all this stuff. Yeah, it's it's got to be yeah. tough. I can see on your face how hard this is to talk about even all these years later. Yeah, um, I sometimes get lost in it as well. It's, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Struggle a bit to recount it. It's easier typing it out, I found. Right, um, yeah. And uh, writing the story out. I could go mm-hmm. it slowly in my own time, put it to put it to right. paper. Yeah, it's helpful uh, to write write things out sometimes, and I've I've found the same thing. Just kind of write it out; it all kind of flows and flows. And you come back later and add a, add a little bit more detail as you remember it. Yeah, yeah. I really, oh, I'm skipping that section. Go to the next. Yeah. We're doing that now. Too painful. So he's basically going through the classic Darvo tactics, and it was a deny, attack, reverse victim and offender. He becomes the victim. It's your fault, Emily. You're the one who's done all this stuff. Uh, did he did he deny as well everything? He's I'm sure he's not going to admit to anything when he was first confronted. 
No, he didn't admit it. Mm-hmm. He only admitted to, and throughout this entire thing, he's, they like to say he's confessed, he's repented. He has only ever admitted to what he's gotten called out for. Never right. anymore. Yeah. So he's playing a very, yeah, cagey game here. Yeah. He's never come forward willingly. And it's presented as if he is, he has. Uh, so towards the end of that autumn, right before Christmas break, my mother saw my phone and saw a message from him. Um, and she didn't see, it, it wasn't all more inappropriate messages. He'd been asking to send news. I guess another thing that I didn't mention is on that physics ship, he dictated every single thing I wore. He would dictate um, all of my attire. So uh, when I was controlling. Yeah, very controlling. Um, yeah, at that point, I think from basically my senior year on until end of my freshman year of college, I didn't get my clothes. He paid everything I wore. Wow. Super. Yeah, super yeah. controlling. Just, yeah, in every aspect of my life. Um, checking my phone and all that stuff. That comes later. Um, God. Yeah. So she, my mom saw a message from him, was concerned, thought it was very inappropriate that she, he had, like, has, wasn't contacted me in such a casual way. So it wasn't a school message, it wasn't a professional message, mm-hmm. so the chatty, whatever. She wrote me a letter basically being like, I want you to cut off contact with him mm-hmm. and took my phone away. I managed to get a hold of my phone. I don't know how I managed to get a hold of my phone, but I did. And I texted him and told him that my mom had found out that, that we were texting. He like interrogated me to find out what she found out, told mm-hmm. me to delete the messages. I did as I was told, um, deleted the messages. He obviously deleted things on his event as well. And the next day, he went in and confessed to uh, school. In air quotes. He, and yes. If he did yeah. appropriately texting me. Right. So again, he's only confessing in air quotes to the things he's been caught doing. Exactly. Right. He's caught singling you out, caught texting you. I'm I'm sorry for those things. That's it. Yeah. Never anything else. Never He's never he never confessed. He didn't confess that point to the physical aspect of the relationship, the fact that he was molesting and insulting me on a pretty regular basis. And that I I was gonna spelt. I was terrified. Um, because I again thought it was my fault. I pretty well adapted to his narrative that I was the one that was causing him to sin. I was tempting him, I was causing him to cheat on his wife. Um you're getting all the blame. Yeah. I remember at one point, like after he assaulted me, like him sitting me down and lecturing me about like, don't you want to be pure for your future husband? Like, what are you doing? And just gave me this full blown, like, you're, you're like, you're now soiled. You're like that, that whole purity culture. Yeah. He, he gave that to me after he had sexually assaulted me. Um, uh, he's the one who's made you impure, and in, in, in the in the words of that yes. evangelical purity culture, and yeah, he's blaming you for it again. It's like gaslighting, isn't it? That's the what I'm hearing. You know, he's, yeah, he's a complete. You know, your your mind is just twisted around. You can't think critically because you're being told it's all your fault, and you've now soiled yourself, and it's your problem, and everything else. Yeah, and I'm ruined. I'm no longer mm-hmm. pure for my husband. And then he would comfort me. Oh, right. Yes. Make you feel oh. horrible and then come yeah, soothe your and it yeah. comfort me and fill me up again. Uh, yeah. So it was a really perverted. Yeah, it's really twisted. 
loop that he had me in. And so the school finds out about it through him confessing um, in air quotes. And they call a meeting with him and discuss, and they call a meeting with me and my parents together and mm. to talk to me about what happened. And this was Tom Gargill, the guy that was rubbing shoulders. Yeah. So he's already doing inappropriate stuff on his own anyway. Yeah. The so he can't be yeah. trusted. Yeah. He can't be trusted at all. No. He's best friends with this guy. <laughs> right. Of course. Of course he is. He's not, he's not a stable authority to be talking about this. He's not objective. And no, not at all. So sits down and he asks me the one question, did he kiss you? Which he had not kissed me. Um, hmm. And it was kind of a line for him. I think it was so that he could say, I haven't even kissed her. Right. When he got caught, which is obviously what he said. Yeah. So again, he's being so careful, so cagey. Yeah. So cagey. Uh, so yeah. Did you kiss her? Did he kiss you? And I said, no, he didn't kiss me. And that was it. No other questions were asked. Yeah, nothing um, else could have happened. Yeah, did you take your clothes off? None of these questions came, came out where I could have answered honestly. I'm sitting here with my parents. I don't want my parents to know. Oh, so they didn't know your parents? Your parents didn't know mom, the extent no, of what had happened? They really didn't. And right. they didn't. My parents didn't ask further questions when they shirt out. And I think they feel pretty guilty about that. Um, I can imagine. They kind of took the school's word for things. So mm. we had that conversation, went on, things continue on. Um, I'm still taking his class, but sitting in his classroom, he's not talking to me. We're not, I'm not sure what's going on. And like a couple days, a week later, maybe my parents came with Doug Wilson and Doug Wilson has a conversation with them. I and I were like sitting out in the auditorium. And him, Doug Wilson coming out and seeing me and just like walking right by. And I'm like, oh, like, yeah, I'm the temptress. I'm like, yeah, Jesus. I acknowledge my sister. Yeah. Like, I was just dog shit on the side of the rabbit. Right. He just completely blanked you then. Yeah. I guess I didn't even mention how I met Doug Wilson, mm -hmm. which is its own little story. I was in um, the classroom with Nance, my abuser, mm -hmm. and door was closed. It was just before a school board meeting. And I was like sitting on the floor and he made some inappropriate comment about my legs. I don't really remember. Um, and Wilson opened the door and walked in. And I jumped up and I was like, hi, like, who are you? And Nance introduces us. I'm like, cool. Finally get to meet the famous Doug with Wilson and mm -hmm. know about my life. And let them have their school board meeting. And then later, he just ripped me a new one because I had embarrassed him in front of his pastor and I was being inappropriate with him in front of his pastor and that whole thing. Right. So more yeah. gaslighting. Yeah. Yeah. That was the first time you met Doug Wilson. That was how I met Doug Wilson is he walked in on, walked in on us. Yeah. Essentially another grooming session. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So your parents met with Doug Wilson. What was the outcome of that meeting? Because he, so he comes out of it, he blanks you on the way out. Uh, he basically said that nothing illegal had occurred, if they had got on top of it, and that they had spoken to the authorities, and they had determined that all was well. So my parents were under the impression that he spoke to the police. Police had said there wasn't a big deal, like nothing had happened. Essentially, right. he'd been interrogated, and all was well. 
<laughs> and my parents just, my parents really respected Doug Wilson and just took everything he said at that point. Mm. And then they said that they were dismissing um, Nance. Um, and he was working that since he was resigning. There's a lot to resign. Right. He didn't get fired. He did get fired. Um, other teachers were coming in and filling in for his classes. So it was half of the school year. And yeah, then that was that. Wilson, or he, Nats was essentially gone. And my parents, we sat down, had a dinner, and they told them what had happened. I was devastated. I felt like I've messed things up for the school. I think it's everyone. Mm-hmm. I have caused all of this drama. Then I never spoke to my parents again about it. Really? That was, yeah, that was that. Um, sure. Wow. It is my parents on issues. Yeah, they've gotten a lot of blame for it. Um, and it's not imagine. Uh, yeah, because what, what's your yeah. just I know this is speeding ahead, but what's your relationship with your parents like now? Because obviously, okay. you've written you've written this stuff, they, they know absolutely everything that happened. It wasn't just the texting and the inappropriate singling out and touching, there was way more stuff that he was doing that was. It should have, he should have gone to jail for it. He should have gone to prison. Yeah. Yeah. And he was, because you were what, about, about 14, 15 at the time. Uh, I was, so it was my junior year. So I was 17 when it started. And then I turned 18 partway through. Right. But he's, yeah, for what he did, he should have gone to prison. But you were under the impression, yeah. according to Doug Wilson, that he had spoken with the police about it. But that never yeah. actually happened, did it? That didn't occur. And I don't know exactly, I wasn't in that meeting. So I can't say exactly what Wilson's. Mm hmm precise words were but that was the impression that my parents had for sure right we do know from all the work i've done on doug wilson he is very adept at covering up scandals he's had numerous scandals at Christchurch and new st andrews and Greyfriars. and here's a guy that married a serial pedophile to another woman from his church you know and just still to this day says i would do it again you know she's never yeah. ever apologized for it the stephen sittler thing no, so this is this is the track record of Doug Wilson. Well, and it's ironic. Is it Christianity all about confession and repentance? Yep. And he, he never repents for any of it. Um, yeah. He just fights back. Him. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so Doug Wilson covers for him. But the only thing they did, this guy, was they allowed him to resign. Because I think on, on your medium article, you've got a copy of the resignation letter, or it was an announcement, I guess, that the school sent out to all the parents. And it basically just says something like, you know, he was in, he was doing inappropriate things. He's repented for them, you know, but we're going to let him resign. And he's been here 24 years. He's a good, godly man, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And they say, like, please pray for him and his family. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Nothing about like the collateral damage. I was just a collateral damage, I guess, at that point. Mm-hmm. And yeah. So I was a wreck that last part of my senior year uh yeah i was an utter wreck i can imagine did, i started to get very anorexic i was suicidal um so it was a few months that's me just yeah being a, a disaster no one spoke to me at school um no no adult at the school ever spoke to me about what happened it was only towards the end that a couple of the students or my friends got the courage to come and talk to me yeah, so you were a pariah there at the school. Everyone's obviously pointing the finger at you, saying, Emily, you're the one who destroyed this godly man's career of 24 years yeah. as a good teacher. How could you do that? And people kind of knew it was me. It wasn't, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, rumors get around quick. 
Yeah. In a small little school. Yeah, I know. I've, I've been in those little places. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's a lot of secrets. Yeah. Um, there's no secrets. I felt like everyone knew, all my classmates knew, people had an idea. I was super anxious about that. So I just befriended the younger students. That senior year. Right. I was friends with all the like seventh and eighth graders. That's where my, my sister's classrooms. And I thought I was the coolest. Like, yeah. <laughs> So I hung out with them. They were naive. Holy God over their head. That um, works, though. If, if you're in that yeah. situation, your peer group's kind of rejected you, haven't they? Yeah, um, pretty much. I think, like, and in their defense, I think a lot of them just didn't know how to talk to me. Yeah. But they're what to say. Too, really. They're like 17 and 18. Yeah, yeah. To so. be fair to them, yeah. I mean, it's, it's not easing the trauma on you, but you can understand. Yeah, they didn't know what. And they obviously, no one knew the full extent of what had happened. Yeah. Didn't not even the schools really knew, did they? At that point, they didn't know he'd been sexually abusing you. It wasn't just the inappropriate messaging and and singling you out and things like that. Was it? it was way more than that. Yeah, and they kind of made things that they they mm-hmm. that given themselves that plausible deniability. Oh, we didn't know they were hiding it. Right. And I think that's what Wilson says in his timeline of events is oh, both Emily and Jen were hiding what they they're saying. Oh, so you're so, still getting blamed. Yeah. I, I'm still getting blamed to this day. I'm still getting blamed. Um, it's my fault for not coming forward. Not It's everybody else's fault for not asking me or sitting me down and having a conversation. So I would have 100% told everything at that point. If someone yeah. asked, I would have told them. I, yeah. I, just told, I desperately wanted to tell someone. Yeah, but this should have involved the authorities as well. That's the other thing, too. Especially there's yes. got to be like mandatory reporting laws. I don't know if it's in the state of Idaho, but, you know, where I was a pastor in the state of Oregon, there was mandatory reporting law. So if someone comes to you with even an allegation that someone's done yeah. something inappropriate to a child, you are bound by state law to report it to the police. They have specialists who deal with that kind of thing. They will come in and interview children and they know how to ask the kind of that are not leading questions and that kind of thing to get to the truth. You're going to believe the child. At the end of the day, the child is not going to make this stuff up. And so, yeah, they they massively dropped the ball on that score for sure. Yeah, and if anything, they're going to downplay it. He's playing that. Yeah, it's going to protect their re- reputation. But again, that pattern, how many times have we seen that? The Catholic Church, the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Southern Baptists, you know, they're going to protect their reputation, which ends up meaning that the abuser gets away with it. Oftentimes, they get, they're free to abuse again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which I would have, I'd almost be surprised if Dan's brought them up to know that. I was going to say, yeah, w- what's the odds that he hasn't done this to other girls at the school when he was there? He was there 24 years. He's uh, had, you know, contact with hundreds, maybe thousands of, of learners going through. Yeah, exactly. It sounds like he was very adept at what he did to you. He wasn't just sort of making it up as he went along. He was very good at, there is that's the thing reading through your article you know the the very subtle and slow steps that you describe in the way he groomed you you know that's he was he knew he didn't just rush you know to sexually abusing you on day two it was months or weeks and months of very subtle small boundaries that were crossed and crossed and crossed none of which seemed that bad in at the time it sounds like it's just he was slight escalation yeah very slight very slow gradual escalation to the point where you're under the spell at the end, at the whole end of the thing, isn't it? Yeah, not a hundred percent. And it's it's interesting how different my story would have been if 
they had reported that to the police and I had a chance and it would have ended there. I think mm-hmm. there's a part two, unfortunately, um, because I was so down that it just, it, I never got out. Mm-hmm. So what happened after, so you, you finished that high school, you graduated from Logos? Yeah. Graduated from Logos and she was at my graduation. Oh my God. You've got to be kidding me. How did they allow him to attend? Of course, he's just resigned and, you know, kind of under a cloud, but no one knew the full extent of it. Yeah. That must have been hugely triggering sitting there on the stage, seeing him out in the crowd. Yeah. I I remember, I still remember that. That's the main thing I remember from my graduation, which is sad, really. Yeah. He just Um, ruined it. He he definitely ruined my graduation. Yeah. That's for sure. Uh, Yeah. So I I remember sitting there seeing him. And then later we had an event where it was like, talk about our unis where you're going and mm-hmm. universities um yeah and signing our yearbooks and all of that jazz and he was sitting there with that same superintendent and the superintendent called me over to talk to him uh-oh which was weird i had a conversation small talk went on my way i was like okay cool done yeah. out get me out of here yeah and then after that I just went to right back up and my mental health was so poor at that point. That helped mm. talk to anyone. That it was pretty easy for him to just restart where he left things. Wow. So what happened after that? You met with this guy at the graduation. What happens? How, how's your mental state? What's your life like at that point? At the graduation, I was like, maybe it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. It's going to be okay. I've got out of here. I wasn't yeah. yeah. sure if I was going to graduate because I thought I was going to get expelled for all of that. Yeah, I got into a university, super stoked. It was as large yeah. as I could fly. Get me out of here. I was going to move across the country, never look back, never mm-hmm. see Idaho again. I was out. Right. Um, and yeah, it just picked right back up. Um, after that, after that text message, I responded to that text message. I honestly hate myself for responding to that text message, allowing uh-huh. him back in. But I also wasn't really in the state mentally. I had he so brought me down yeah. the year in a bit before that year and a half before that, that I was just unable really to I guess say night or men. Yeah, he'd broken you down. Yeah. And then that last semester, last three or four months, I'd also been further broken down. I was pretty severely underweight. Mm-hmm. Uh and it was just, yeah, I was a bit of a, I was a bit of a disaster. Um, uh-huh. And so it was pretty easy, I think, for him to just slip back in, provide that comfort. Um, yep, there he is again. So how long did that go on the second time? It went on for just over a year. And that also continued to, it, it, yeah, it continued to escalate to as a essentially. Mm-hmm. But I I had spent that summer working in the forest service. So every time I got the day off, he wanted to see me. Um, whenever I got off work, we messaging me and messaging incessantly. So I was super sleep deprived. Mm-hmm. I was getting no sleep that summer. I was falling asleep on the job, which was really bad. There was an incident where I like, fell asleep and like restarted a fire f- forest fire because I had fallen asleep while on oh, fire. That's not good. <laughs> um, yeah, so I was very sleep deprived because he was just constantly messaging, constantly there. I was terrified not to answer and would get angry with me if I wasn't responding and by the couches that like, I'm keen for your well being and something should be safe and I worry and so I was super anxious to always be mm-hmm. on the ball responding. 
would see him on my uh, whenever I got a day off, and he would assault me then. And it was just that same, same pattern, same pattern. Yeah. And then I went to uni, and it just continued. It was just the messaging. He's a little better in some ways, in some ways it's not. Uh, he started implementing this cycle of like we're sinning. I've got to cut you off, uh-huh. and so. It was kind of like reminiscent of that first, that last semester of my senior year, where I was all by myself again. And my mental health was obviously just like this, it was just a mess. I was just like yeah. run ragged, uh, where he implemented this cycle of, you caused me to sin, we have to repent. I can't talk to you, it was like this punishment mm-hmm. sort of thing. I had no control when the relationship started, no when the relationship stopped, and when we were talking, how we were talking. He controlled who I could talk to. At this point, he was tracking my phone. So he would just not be there. I couldn't reach out to him if I was having a hard time. She would right. always contact me. Right. Was, he, he initiated everything? He initiated everything mm-hmm. and was in control of everything. Again, was selecting what I wore, selecting who I could spend my time with, who I couldn't spend my time with. I was talking to boys. I would get in trouble for spending time with boys, especially if they were non Christians. So he's controlling every aspect of your life, really. Yeah. And you get very angry if I like spoke to someone I wasn't supposed to speak to. Man, very yeah. controlling narcissistic behavior. Yeah. And it, it's kind of crazy that he was able to do that from the distance, but he just had such a hold of me. He was able to. Yeah, because I was going to say, you went to university, it was another state away or something, wasn't it? So it was, you didn't physically see him once you moved, but he's still controlling you basically through your phone. Yeah. And I was afraid to come home. That was, mm-hmm. and I was trying to come up with excuses to avoid coming home. And I, I, and I, like, I want, I've had this, like, this pull of, like, I'm super homesick and missed my family. Yeah. But, like, oh, can I, can I call the excuse to miss Christmas? How do I miss Christmas? Which is like her poor, I, like, you know, freshman and he wants to miss Christmas. No, no, um, not the first year. No. Uh, so, I had, I had a skipping Thanksgiving, coming home for Christmas. The assault me over Christmas break. It was went back to school. I got a summer job. I applied to work for my home for that. And it was through last summer. That was kind of where I started to take my my own distance and create space for myself. I think I was growing up a bit, and I wanted more freedom. And Yes, that was that big. That was the first big step. Was I'm gonna get a summer job. I'm not coming home for the summer. I'm not gonna do a repeat of the last summer. Yeah, it's not gonna happen again. Not happening. I didn't want it to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I actively didn't want the sexual. Didn't know what was happening. So, yeah, didn't come home that summer. Stayed. Met uh, an older Christian woman who kind of mentored me and all that children. I didn't tell her everything. I didn't tell her that she, he is still in my life. Uh-huh. I'm just told for what had happened in preschool up until his dismissal. Well, that first part of the story. And that was, that was it. Once I told someone and she hadn't totally rejected me. Right. I was like, wait a minute. Like, you're not telling me to get out of your house and never talk to you again. Like, right. You're not going to be blamed for it. Yeah, I'm not being blamed for it. You don't think it's yeah. my fault. You're not disgusted to be around me because I was disgusted to be around me. I was like, I was so ashamed and mm-hmm. so guilty about what had happened. I thought it was all my fault that when somebody wasn't, that, that wasn't her reaction, it was not the reaction I expected. I was fully expecting for the short chat to be right there and there to be all over. 
mm-hmm. and how to be all by myself again. So she's the first person that really, yeah, that accepted you and was, sh- I'm sure she was absolutely shocked to hear the whole story. Well, she didn't hear the whole story, but it was enough to, it was yeah. shocking for sure. Yeah, she was shocked. I think she realized as well that like, this is the first time I was telling the story. Mm-hmm. Um, so she supported me and mentored me and I flung pretty tightly to her for quite a bit after that. I can imagine. Towards the end of that summer, I went home for my birthday, which was the end of the summer, in August, the end of August, mm-hmm. and visited my family briefly for my birthday. Saw him again. He assaulted me again on my birthday, um, which was like the third birthday, and he like aroused that he assaulted me. God. Yeah, not just a birthday person. <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah, it can be very uh, triggering. Yeah. Um, so he assaulted me on my birthday. I was really done. <laughs> After that, went back to went back to school, uh, and that one told her that he was still there. He was still in my life, mm. and she basically said that helped me to get the ball right and get sort of walking through that was there for me. I messages her, kind of do it, and and message Shane is like, get out of my life, never talk to me again, so cough. Right, <laughs> not those exact words. Yeah, I'm uh, done. Yeah. So she helped you break away from him then? Yeah, she really did. And so sent him that message, said anything I could, but he was like, I don't know, I mean, he was going to come up to Richmond, Virginia, which is short, not very short train ride from mm-hmm. DC. And he wanted me to come and stay in his hotel room with him. And right. yeah, if he wanted me to stay in his hotel room, I didn't, obviously did not want to stay in his hotel room. No, 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 bro. Hold on. Anywhere near did not want to do that. Uh, so I was like, okay, I got to get rid of him. Like, I, this is the point. Like, I did that yeah. happening or I've got to get him out of my life. And that was the point where I messaged her. I was like, he's still here. He's still in my life. I need to get rid of him. Call me. And she mm-hmm. helped me to basically, yeah, yeah, to kick him to the curb. Right. Which I did. And then after that, he, yeah, he was, he knew because he tracked my phone, he knew where everything was. Like, he knew where my classes were. Mm-hmm. Where I lived, he knew where my friends lived, he knew where everything was. So when he did come up to Virginia, I left the city. <laughs> yeah, you had to get out. I was like, he could find me. I was terrified that I was going to New York. He tried to contact me on every single, like every social media platform. He like pinged me on LinkedIn, trying to get a hold of me. Basically, stalking worried. you now. Yeah, he was stalking yeah, me. That's it now. He, he was posting cryptic, cryptic messages on his social media. He posted the picture of the bed in the hotel room, the bed that he plans to rape me on. God. Yeah. And I was just like, yeah, that's clearly a message to me. Um, yeah. Very threatening message. Yeah. So that's horrific. Yeah. Hey, I'm Rachel. A few years ago, I stepped away from my religious background. I had a lot of anger and a lot to say about evangelicalism and all the shitty parts of it. So I started a podcast to work through it and to feel less alone. A year into it, I asked my cousin-in-law to join the journey. And I said, yes, I'm Molly, co-host of the show. Turns out we had a lot more in common than just being in the same family. We were both raised in evangelical house churches in the 90s and 2000s. Talk about culty. We were homeschooled, culty, and we both left religion behind about eight years ago. So now we get together every other week and talk about the nitty gritty that happens when you leave religion. 
everything from how to set healthy boundaries with religious family members, theology, hell, heaven, Paul, and how to recognize and heal from religious trauma. This podcast is our healing process, and we're hopeful that sharing our stories, other people's stories, and what we learn along the way may help others heal too. Religion leaves a mark on everyone it touches. Sometimes that mark isn't always positive. Cheers to Leaving is the perfect podcast for anyone who's questioning their faith or looking to connect with others who have been there. You can find our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. So grab a drink and join us as we say, cheers to leaving. When we come back in the second half of this conversation with Emily Page, we're going to hear even more of this truly unbelievable story. And what's amazing to me is that not only has she survived the abuse that she experienced, she's now in a position to speak out and tell the truth about what happened to her. And of course, this is all in the context of a Doug Wilson-inspired school, a very patriarchal system. And unfortunately, this is what we see so much of the time within patriarchal organizations like this. We saw it in the Southern Baptist Convention. We've seen it for decades in the Catholic Church. So Unfortunately, this is nothing new, and sadly, this kind of thing is not going to go away. But I'm glad that we're able to get the word out, and I'm really proud of Emily for speaking out and telling her really heartrending story. But before we get back into the second half, I wanted to tell you what's coming up here in the next few episodes on the show. We've got a chat coming up with myself and David Johnson, along with Gary Hudson. I've had these guys on the show before. We were asked a question by a listener why does Jesus always seem to get a free pass when you're talking about Christians who are deconstructing or even among atheists who seem to view Jesus as a sort of a guru or a wise religious teacher who is really not very threatening? And then the sort of corollary question we bat around as well is, could Jesus have been some form of cult leader? Were his teachings actually all that good? And so me and David and Gary break that down, have a really good discussion about that. And then I've got a chat with Jared Stacy, who I've talked about before. He's a PhD student. He's actually an American. He's living up in Aberdeen, Scotland. He's doing some research on this whole issue of evangelicals and conspiracy theories and how it all relates to what's going on in the church today, certainly not just in America, but around the world. And then I've got a couple of crossover episodes coming up. We've got a conversation book with the Cheers to Leaving podcast, as well as the Indoctrination podcast. So I'm really excited to meet up with these ladies and do another crossover episode on these two platforms. And then finally, if you want to support the show on Patreon, there's some really good content I've been posting up every other week in between my normal shows. Right now, I've got a really good episode. It's actually part one of a chapter that was written by Kathy Bosman in a book that we were supposed to produce a few years ago, way back in 2017. She's telling her story, talking about coming out of religion into self-love. And so the second half of that is going to be available next week. So if you want to catch part one and part two of Kathy's story, head over to Patreon and the links to that are in the show notes, and you'll find out how not only to catch that episode, you'll get the other half next week, as well as being a supporter of the show. And then before I forget, one last thing is I'm nearly finished editing my book that's coming out, hopefully sometime around the end of September. It's called Baptism, Third Times a Charm, My Story of Deconversion from Christianity. And so I'll be giving you more information about that. I think at some point I'm going to read the first chapter. If you want to get that book, it will be available at some point here coming up in the month of September on Amazon. I will keep you posted about that. All right, let's get back into the second half of the chat with Emily Page, hearing her absolutely amazing story surviving sexual abuse in Doug Wilson's Logos School. 
that was kind of the end of it. I was I went this like amazing honeymoon period of he's gone. My yeah, I'm friend. free. Yeah. I'm free. I can have my own friends. I can hang out with who I want, or I can mm. wear whatever clothes I want. I had some really questionable outfit choices. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but you you were choosing them. That's the whole point. Wow. I chose my outfit. Yeah. My favorite is the one that wore fishnets under ripped jeans, and that was oh, great. Hey, it's a great look, Emily. But you hey, you're you're free to do it. Close. That's right. Oh. That's got to be so. a huge empowering thing, isn't it? Yeah, it was. It was like this. It was a big empowering them. Yeah, um, yeah. I I have drank alcohol with my friends and not get in trouble with them. Ooh, I I know. Yeah, family for Thanksgiving and not have to worry about seeing him. So that was like a very good, a huge honeymoon period for me. It was great. Um, and then I came home for Christmas, and at that point I told. I didn't tell my family. It was, I had gone back to the school because I was picking up my sister's from school. And I had run into that same superintendent and just had a chat with him. He's like, oh, let's all catch up. And I had, it was my sister's birthday. It was her sad Keith birthday. Mm-hmm. And I take her to lunch and snap her classes as a good older sister would. Oh, yeah. And yeah. <laughs> so, got to be done. Got to be done. The school secretary just smiled and let me do it. Um, yeah. Took her out, treated her to a big lunch. We had a great time. Brought her back, and there was like an hour left of classes. So she went to classes for that last, last hour. Right. I was like, I'll just hang around here and wait for her to finish yeah. school. And at that point, ran to the superintendent. He was having to basic catch up again. He was no longer the superintendent. He had now resigned from that position. He was just teaching classes. He was in mm-hmm. classes and was around the school, but not in charge of the school. So had he also wasn't working that period, just said, oh, let's catch up. Had a yarn with him. And towards the end of that, he goes, oh, it was like really good that we caught what happened with you and Nance before it got bad. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And yeah. I was like, oh, like before things escalated, he's like, that could have been really bad. He was like, mm-hmm. it was bad. I was like, yeah. it was so bad. It was as bad as it could be. Like, yeah, you had no idea. You had no idea. It was so bad. Yeah. And yeah. at that point, he's like, wait, what? And then he finally started asking the same questions he should have asked yeah. years before. Exactly. Um, finally asked those questions. And I was able to tell him what has happened, share a couple of the incidents that had occurred. What blood waters it stolen and after I was at school. And it was, uh, it was not the best choice, obviously, to tell him. It was not the person to tell. But in my my team was the authority who was the person what that was supposed to ask. Mm-hmm. It, in my head, he was the like she was the person in charge of the school that was supposed to cover me. So when yeah. finally asked the budget, I was like, finally. Finally, years was, later, yeah. You should have asked me about yeah, the first time. <laughs> So yeah. I wanted to know. And I yeah. I told him, it's like I was ready to be honest. I had been ready to be honest and tell something the entire time. Uh-huh. Um and so when he finally asked, I was able to tell him what had occurred. And he went to Pete's. Oh my gosh. That he did. Yeah. Yeah. So instead of again of reporting it to the authorities or anyone else, he goes to the abuser. Yeah, but he they were abusing. they were friends already anyway. I mean we we knew that yeah. from before, yeah, yeah. Which is why it was a terrible person to tell. And I yeah. told that same friend uh, that I had lived with and who helped me get out that I had done this. And she was like, 
why why did you tell him yeah. what did you do she was not the person you needed to tell um he went to nads nads then made a confession again another air quote another air quote big air quotes this is audience you can't see them oh uh, yep another confession to wilson and wilson then went to the school and spoke to the superintendent and it's ironic because looking back wilson spelled his timeline up and he, like refers to the incidents that occurred and i was like funny that those incidents are the ones that i told that superintendent about nothing mm-hmm. extra is going to be revealed right and then, um, he reveals what he has to he then went to the superintendent the new superintendent of the school been in the job like months yeah five minutes in the job five minutes in the job yeah he gets this stunt on his place and he does the correct thing he goes i'm reporting this to police like immediately wilson oh right did not want to get into a horse place being pushed back or honorable teachers and there was pretty good push that wilson did not want him to go to the place he went to the place he encouraged wilson to do the same and reported it and then wilson later came and also reported it Right. Very belatedly. Yeah. Belatedly and reluctantly. Yeah. The police report, I think it says he was very reluctant to say that he was clearly mm-hmm. very nervous and did not want to be there. Um, well, yeah, because so. he would have been culpable in some of the, you know, kind of covering up of the original yeah. time when, when all this started to come out, but they didn't have the full story. Did they? they certainly didn't do the right thing by you or the, or the authorities. Absolutely not. And if you, if you listen to like Wilson's perception, like his term fences, like he was the hero. He did everything he was supposed to. As soon as he knew about something, he immediately, no, no he didn't. Uh, he absolutely yeah, did not. Absolutely did not. Dug his heels in at every step and did not want to, um, yeah, did not have to share. Hmm. Um, so police then contacted me. And I think the police could have done better. Um, mm-hmm. They reached out to me by phone. I spoke to Sunbreak on the phone. I was, oh, I was already. I and I didn't do had like an in person interview, but that didn't happen. Wow. Every phone chat, the police officer, I didn't. I was, I didn't want my hair. I stuff freaked out. Didn't want anyone to find out. I was still like not ready to come forward about what happened. And so was not honest. And I regret that. I obviously regret that deeply. I did not share with me that happened with the police until later, until much later. Mm-hmm. And they didn't pursue it further after that. Wow. So they didn't action anything. Even though you had told this guy what, what had happened, the police, had, yeah. they, they must have some inkling of what went on. They they did. They must have. But yeah, it didn't, surely. It did not get pursued. And there was an officer later on it really pursued it, but at that time, it was kind of just dropped. It they they talked with me. It was clear. I think in the latest report, I said that like I was very reticent and was clearly not very honest, mm-hmm. um, which I wasn't. I was like, oh, I was eighteen, it's fine, it's eighteen. Uh, yeah. When none of it had been, you know, when I was eighteen, it was through coercion and mm-hmm. was assault. Even then, yeah. So. Police didn't action anything. That night, I was like, I, I had a breakdown essentially. Mm. Uh, right after speaking to the police, I took a ton of alcohol and attempted suicide. And so I just wasn't ready. Didn't go through it, didn't follow through. 
stopped short and then went back to school. Um, actually, no, no, that's not, that's not true. Um, there was, it, I didn't, I get lost in the story, but yeah, mm-hmm. attempted suicide. And then it was, was still like an emotional disaster. Um, had to go through that. Nobody noticed except for my little sister. Um, got a little my little sister. She's gone through wow. She's gone through it now. Wow. She's so mad. So she knew we were struggling. Yeah. She knew. And I think she, both my sisters, like two little sisters, mm-hmm. were, but some of the more aware people throughout this whole fiasco. Yeah. yeah. They could and, see uh, you were, your mental health couldn't have been, it wasn't very good at all, was it? Yeah, it was. It was pretty odd. Like, honestly, I'd shocked that no one sent it. Like, I, I think I had like a BMI of 16 or something. Like, yeah. I Physically, yeah. You look, yeah. I did oh, not wait. look well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I, yeah, went through that, managed through the next, I had like a leaf left while I was still in Idaho area. And Nancy Wilson reached out to me and offered her services for counseling. I was like, oh, thank God. Right. So reached so they- out to me. Right. This is Doug Wilson's wife, in case people don't know who, we're, who you're talking about. So she yeah. now stepping into the picture, trying to help you. Yeah, she's trying to help. Uh, okay. So I go to her place for counseling, and like she's this immaculate, gorgeous house on the shelves. It's a beautiful house. But mm-hmm. One day I can get rich enough that I own a house like that. <laughs> it is all the nice appliances and the ground oh, yeah. countertops. It's a beautiful house. When I sat in her living room and spoke with her, and the things I remember from that was, like, yes, he wronged you, but the real victim here, the only real victim here, is his wife. Oh. Or wife. It's his wife. Ah, oh, right. He betrayed his wife. So I should not be feeling like a victim here and should not be going through it while I'm going through because his wife is the real victim, not me. And I drew make responsibility for my actions from that. And clearly I wasn't a good enough Christian and I'm mm-hmm. reading my Bible enough. So she gave me like a Bible reading plan. Well, that'll solve the problem. That'll fix it. God. Well, Unbelievable. Yeah. So I took my Bible reading plan and I went back to school with my Bible reading plan in a hope that I would, I would fix it. I also, at this point, they were, they they told me I'd have had to tell my parents because I, I'm now an adult. Like, I've, I'm over age. I'm 19 at this point. But the way the Wilson-Wilsonian world works is as a daughter, I'm still mm-hmm. under the headship of my father. I'm not my own person. I'm yeah. the property of my dad. Yeah, it's a very patriarchal system, isn't it? Yeah, so I have to tell my owner, my father, mm-hmm. what has happened because he is the one that's in charge. So I, and if I don't, they will. That was the threat. Mm-hmm. Um, I did not have power or control over my own story. I had to tell him or else. So I write my, I write a confession, essentially, to tell my parents what has happened. And I'm honest in that confession. Mm-hmm. It was best as I can be. And I send that over to Nancy and ask her to review it and edit it for me um, and just to give me her advice as my counselor on this confession. The next thing I know, it's everywhere. Everyone has seen this confession, except for my parents. Like, it has gone wildfire through that community. Right. People have read it. I got, like, I mean, like, messages from, like, 
classmates of my little sisters being like, so you were sexually assaulted by Jim Nance? And I'm like, I'm, what, the what, is that? what is happening? Yeah. So much- everyone finding out about this. Yeah, it was supposed to be Finally. confidential, obviously. Yeah. Obviously it was supposed to be confidential. Yeah. Finally, one of the women who was count was, I can't remember what this, no, Christy did not live with her at this point. It would have been uh, Heather Lloyd. And she is the wife of Alex Lloyd, who was recently convicted of um, having child pornography. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the elders at Christ Church, wasn't he? Yeah, he was an elder at Christ Church. She tells me that it has been distributed to the elders. Okay. And that is how that confession had gone out because nothing is kept secret. Elders shared it with their wives, wives shared it with their friends. It was the yeah. best gossip and we had seen in a very long time. So it goes uh, viral all over Moscow. Yes. So uh, my confession to my parents had gone fully viral. Except uh, for them. Except for them. So yeah. they do not know. The people who actually it was written for. And all their friends go. And I am mad at it. I didn't want my parents. I like, wanted to break this to my parents well. I like, I get on that airplane and right before I board the plane, I set the confession to my parents. And I feel I feel awful about the way I did this. Mm-hmm. I them. And I was like, I'm gonna be on an airplane for six hours and they can't talk to me. Right. So Makes sense it. though. Yeah. Just let them yeah, they, read it and you yeah, you're not gonna be contacted for those time the time you're in the air. Yeah. So they received that in their inboxes, which couldn't have been great. And then I'm respond to calls for a good few months. I just blocked that uh, out. During wow. that period, I was still talking to Nancy and Nancy was counseling me. And this is when Doug Wilson, based on my counseling with Nancy, starts his blog series, um, Letters to a Broken Girl. Uh, uh, I'm the broken girl. That's right. Um, so you're the one. I'm the one. So the letter, uh, the other half of the letter were my counseling sessions with Nancy. Uh, so he shares this publicly on his so blog. He this publicly on his blog. So essentially, I have a counseling session with Nancy and I, I tell her like, this is why I'm feeling. So I'm thinking like, there's a couple of ways and like, all the boys are flirting with me. I feel uncomfortable because I was really uncomfortable about men, men talking to me or engaging with me being sexually attracted to me and anyone with that or reach me out at that point which makes sense going back and then she would write a letter about it um, so yeah all the stuff that you were you were doing in confidentiality ends up not only getting spread all over town it's literally now it's on on his blog it's on the internet anyone i'm, I'm sure he didn't mention you by name though it was all quote anonymous wasn't it it was just it was a broken anonymous. girl yeah Details no one ever changed. was Right. It's like slightly, like the story is different. Like the background's different. I mean, he's a right. deacon and so I'm a, an elder. He's mm-hmm. my father. He's like my teacher. Mm-hmm. He asks Nancy permission to reach out to me. It's like a slightly different story. Right. But the content of those letters was based on my counseling sessions with Nancy. Yeah. So I'd have a counseling session. He'd write a blog and she'd send me the blog. <laughs> like, this is going to fix you. You sort of think so. Doug Wilson's weird way of sort of counseling you through his blog. Yeah. What you should be doing. He couldn't counsel me directly because obviously I'm the harlot that's already seduced one elder. Right. Um, couldn't yeah. to me directly. And also he couldn't admit. There was one, at one point he's like, oh, in the blog, it's like, oh, we believe you because it's been tried in court of law and there were multiple witnesses. I was like, mm. So my case is not tried in a court of law and there were not multiple witnesses. So you don't believe me. Is essentially uh-huh. 
Yeah, you you're the yeah you're the one who's who's instigated the whole thing. Yes, you got blamed for it. So I, was, I can't imagine. It was just compounding the trauma. Obviously, isn't it? In addition to all the sexual abuse and all the way that 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 whole thing happened with the control and everything else. Now you've got to deal with Nancy, and then it's not confidential. Yes, God, and Nancy just messed with my brain for sure. Uh, she's no business counseling anyone ever. And when those blogs came out, it was also she saw the blogs and she goes, "Is that picture of you?" And I was like, "No, it's not. She looks just like me." Went all the way to that point. Even that detail. Even that detail. The curly haired blonde girl. Could have been you, yeah. Could have been me. And there's advice like either you'll become a slut or a lesbian um, because of your abuse. Okay. Oh. Wow. Because, yeah, that's how that works. Um, right. It's a yeah, instant connection. Yeah, yeah. Instantly become a lesbian if you get sexually abused. Yeah. Or a slut. I've heard that logic, uh, yeah, before. Yeah. Uh, so, very unhelpful. I was actually quite frustrated with a lot of what Nancy was saying because I still had my friend um, in D.C. It was the older woman that helped me get out. Mm-hmm. And she wasn't that much older. She was about 10 years old than me. So, it was a bit more down to earth and so that's not okay like this is abuse this you're not responsible you don't need to be taking responsibility for his action and push back about against a law of what nancy was saying which was super helpful and i finally broke off the counseling nancy after i had a session with her and then i gone and babysat with this family babysat with the family and they were way out in alexandria which they're going to know the dc area so like on the train, quite a trek from DC Central, and I was getting up to Georgia, Washington. And I got on that train, and every time the train stopped, I was like, I can just get off and then wait for the next one and jump in front of it. And every single stop, I was like, the head, that thought was getting going through my brain. And I finally got to George, the George Washington stop, and I was like standing there on the train tracks, like thinking about jumping. And I ran into a friend. Thankfully, and it was a college campus, so that, the chance of that was pretty high, but ran into her, are you okay? Uh, I was, obviously, I was, and I was, like, standing on the track, like, by the tracks, like, I wasn't okay. Um, wow. And to talk to her, hand told her what happened, to some extent, not coherently in any way. She bought me dinner. I went home, and at that point, I said, I can't, I'm not talking to Nancy ever again. That's the uh-huh. blocked her. And... Yeah, so ended that pretty quickly, no. pretty promptly. So to I, at this point, I started a conversation with my parents. I'd started a conversation with my parents and told my mother who had told um, that same woman, Heather Lloyd. Mm-hmm. And it all went back a little bit around the community. Oh, of course it did. Does um, Nancy came to my family and all pissed off that I talked shit about her. And uh, of course she did. Of course she did. John. Uh, yeah. Unbelievable. It was it was a bit unbelievable, but I was able to start to distance myself a bit. Talked to Heather a few times. I ended up meeting with her later. I came back over. Uh, I think it was the summer break, and she was like, "Well, how can we stop?" people from praying on students at our schools. And I believe if she was a teacher at Low Ross at this point, mm-hmm. the father or her husband is the elder. Yeah. Um, 
which is very ironic now thinking back on it, considering her husband is now in jail. Uh, or yeah, on hugely jail. ironic. Yeah, hugely ironic. Um, but she was I. I felt like at the time she was one of the more rational voices uh-huh. uh, in the community. She was a little bit more liberal for Christchurch esque, still very fundamentalist, oh, yeah. fundamentalist than ninety percent of Christians probably, but no, no. like Wilsonian levels of fundamentalism. Yeah. Uh, hey, hey, she supported women being on the school board. I think that was a conversation we had. Just, Ooh, oh, make things better. I was like, Maybe having some women on the school board or having a counselor that can talk to people, like someone talk to students, female, a woman, able, and in that position, get in that, mm-hmm. like, fast talk to students, having a hard time. Uh, so tried to advise her a bit on that, but clearly it wasn't that useful. Um, and where am I? This is the part that I have at written, so it's not as clear in my head. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, I ended up just, it was a slow process of healing. I ran into lots of issues with my church in D.C. in the end. Um, yeah, it's, it's gone long. Um, <laughs> yeah, but it's a, there's so many twists and turns in the story, isn't it? You know, There, there are. And there's, there's so many points. So many levels. Yeah, I was going to say, there's just looking back on it, there's so many points at which things would have and should have been so much better and different if... Just simply, they had done the right thing. Yes, you know, your life would have been so much different and better if he'd if he'd been brought to justice when you were in high school. You know, he wouldn't have been allowed to yeah. continue controlling you and molesting you and all the rest of it for years. You know, and then then you pile on the Doug Wilson, the Nancy Wilson, all that gaslighting. It's just adding more trauma to the toxicity. Yeah. It, they, a lot of times they say, oh, like, this happens in public schools too. Mm-hmm. It's always the comment of public schools yeah. as, as well. But in a public school, it would have been reported to police when the first parent said something, when the secretary reported. Yeah, it should have been. That's when it should have been reported to police. Yeah. In September mm-hmm. of 2014, not January 2017. Yeah, years later. And even then it was incomplete, years. wasn't handled right. So did this guy ever get brought to justice, this Jim Nance, whatever happened? Because you said the police did follow up later. Did you ever have a, a more comprehensive interview with somebody? Uh, I did. It was, But that was, again, years, years later. So that's after mm-hmm. I moved to Australia. Right. I really? finally got the interview with police after I moved to Australia four years ago. Um, so, God. yeah. Will a little uh, belated. kept... Nance kept teaching. So he went from Logos to teaching homeschool students, and he's written a curriculum which is quite widespread through the ACC network. Um, so oh, wow. James Nance, um, yeah. probably dealt by his books. Uh, uh-huh. I'm still out there. He's still out there. He would have, it was like online teaching mm-hmm. with the homeschool network. And when I was still in contact with him, he would. He had students that he would start with and that he was into when he was telling me about this. And I was being upset. And he would also tell me like my sisters, my middle the middle one. Um he was off he would often reach out, like say make comments on her, make comments on her body that were just so yeah. inappropriate. And as her older sister, I was yeah, kind of like I was kind of I felt like I had to keep his attention. And so when it's the 
Yeah. So he's there was another. Yeah, and there was another girl was like fourteen that he was interested in. Um, oh boy, one of the homeschool students. So there's every chance he's continued to abuse. Yeah, we don't know, but I mean, abusers like that they don't just stop, do they? Don't one day just quit. The level yeah. of control that he, you know, evidenced in your life. I mean, he's not going to stop doing that, is he? Yeah, no, absolutely not. I think uh -huh. it's a game. He wants to control, wants that power for another thing, thing like that. So, yeah. I, yeah, he's very much still a threat, and he should not be loose. Yeah, in the public. He's in the public. He's a threat to teenage girls. Do you feel like any of your stuff has alerted people to the dangers that this guy poses? Because obviously now you're out there. You've got articles on Medium. You know, we're talking. You've talked to other people about your experiences. Yeah. Has it helped? Do you think? It's just not exactly so. Um, the examining Doug Wilson page, a lot of the comments, I was very, some of the comments, and there were lots of mothers who had their kids homeschooled in that group by him. They were by like, him. No idea. And they were just like, obviously, they're furious. They're terrified. And like, what happened with my daughter? Oh, yeah. Today? Yeah. So I think there was an awareness there um, that he shouldn't be allowed to just have one on one Zoom calls with students wherever they are. He shouldn't be given that access to children in any mm -hmm. form. No way. Yeah. Now, how have you gotten help? Have you gotten therapy, counseling? How have you recovered from all this horrific stuff that happened to you? Oh, man. Long story. Stories. There's more yeah. stories. It just goes on. Uh -huh. I got Christian counseling at my church. It was awful. It wasn't as bad as... Nancy's counseling, mm -hmm. but it was also awful. Uh, I, yeah, so this, this is Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C. Um, Mark Dever, if you're familiar, mm -hmm. um, he's written the nine marks of a healthy church. Oh, and of course. There is nothing healthy about his church. Um, <laughs> Maybe you should have read his own book. Yeah, it's, it's toxic and controlling and... I, I'm looking at seeing the way he treated his interns. He had a whole squad of male interns that were just controlling. He controlled and he controlled. Mm -hmm. He would reach out at 11 o'clock at night and expect them to come in. And they weren't paid or they weren't paid appropriately. And it was right. yeah, very, very controlled, controlled relationships, controlled who they could date. I remember there was one of the interns that we had like a chemistry, but I was damaged goods, obviously, and mm -hmm. this whole sorts of issues. Shouldn't date me, blah, 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 blah. It's very strong advice by the elders not to date me. Anyhow. Um, right. So this is the person you're going to for, quote, counseling, Christian counseling. Christian counseling. And it was Deepak Reju was also written a book on Christian counseling, which some people may be familiar with. Mm -hmm. I got counseling from one of the women that worked under him. And I think she had, I mean, she had good intentions. But the confidentiality in that counseling was not good. And I was very concerned at the very beginning of the counseling about confidentiality. said under certain certain circumstances, she could reach speech to DPAC and DPAC could escalate if needed. And I was in uni. I was engaging in some pretty reckless behavior at this point. I was drinking a lot, mm -hmm. partying a lot. I wasn't partying that much. Like looking back, I was like, "That's kind of tame." Sort of real honest. But, for a little Christian school kid, yeah, couple well, of drinks. Christian school kid, it was a big right. deal. Oh, yeah. uh, now I'm 
And I was an adult when I go clubbing. I do, I do a much better job of it. So. Right. Absolutely. Good times. Mm. Um, but yeah, so during was since I was I was assaulted while I was drunk, and I told my counselor about this, mm. and I then that happened, and it kind I kind of had like a bit of a a breakdown, and then proceeded to I had sex with multiple people in the month that not a week and had sex with five people because Tinder exists and I was on the college campus. That's what you do. So it wasn't hard. Uh, yeah. So I did that and it was like literally a week. So this all happens. Do that over the course of a week. I'm falling into Dowd Wilson's um categorizing of the slut. Um Right. See, it's all true then. It, no, yeah. It's all true. And I'm uh, really far fight. And then I'm bisexual too. But right. <laughs> making <laughs> matters worse. <laughs> yeah. I know. Making matters worse. I'm really digging myself in a hole here. Uh, I mean, so, had did that and having consensual sex blew my mind. Like, mm-hmm. it, it entirely, it made me realize that what had happened with Nance was so not consensual it wasn't okay because mm-hmm. i now had sex like everything that i'd experienced physically and emotionally during consensual sex was so different a lot of just night and day night and day it was literally it wasn't traumatic and then it was not like, enjoyable at all yeah yeah and i then told my house of this i was like sort of confessing so i'm still religious i'm still struggling Mm-hmm. Trauma of yeah, the religious trauma here. I'm pure culture and all of that. So I tell her that I had sex. I have broken my pact with God. I no longer pure. Not that I was ever pure for mm-hmm. times, uh, yeah. but that I had sex, and that this is how it made me feel. Like this is what had gone in my brain that I kind of had in a sense a breakthrough because I had consensual sex and had shame free sex. Even though it wasn't entirely shameful, it's not all of it, it was just baggage. Oh, yeah. And she interpreted that as I was not confess- confessing. I was not repentant of having sex. And within less than a week, so I told her on a Sunday, and I think it was like that Wednesday or something, I got a message basically saying, Deepak, I'd like to meet with you. We're going to be on a care list, which is... Um, a list of naming and shaming co- congregants who have steps out of the boundaries of the church's rule. Oh boy! And yeah, so I can see where this is going. Yeah, you can see exactly. What yeah. it the worst part was my parents were in town. I think it was like it would have been. I, I can't remember why they were in town. They were visiting. Mm-hmm. My parents were there, and they were leaving. It was the first time that my dad had come visited me in university. So super excited about that. I was super excited to show them all around. And mm-hmm. it was the day they flew out that she wanted to meet with me. And I was given no other choices. And then I was like, well, I want to take my parents to the airport and say goodbye. So I'm not going to see them for a while, like to see goodbye to my parents. No, I had to go and talk to the back or else I would be put on the care list and shame from the entire church. Well, church of a thousand people, by the way, mm. multiple congressmen in attendance and the vice president of the United States on occasion. Wow. 
do not want Vice yeah. President Pence hearing about my sexual exploits. No. Being ashamed. No. Not no. good. No shame. Yeah. I was, I was, and I was looking for jobs that point and stuff like about to graduate, trying to find the next thing. Yeah. The last and thing you needed. Yeah. Last thing I needed is like all the potential employers at all of the major organizations mm-hmm. in Washington, D.C., knowing that I had sex. Um, God, so I was, yeah, I was a bit of a wreck over that. And going to that counseling session, I had get, that had again driven me to the point of being suicidal. And I was in that counseling session and I'm implied pretty, I didn't, I had been pretty clear. I feel it. I don't know if the counselor was choosing to ignore that or not, but it was um, a recent, very high for a while suicide. It was Sky King. It was that um, the guy who had flown, taken, stolen an airplane, barrel rolled it, and then like flown into an island in the Seattle area. Into yeah. Himself. Yeah. And I had seen that on the news that I'd been ruminating on it. And I told my counselor, I was like, I want to do that. I am envious of that person. He's got it figured out. I want to do what he did. And she's like, oh, like fly a plane. <laughs> and I'm like, no. I want to do what he did. I would. Yeah. I crash into an island. Yeah. I would like to crash into an island and die. Um, wow. So you're going to have to a picture. I'm a so, um, so I told them that it was pretty clear. Told deep at that as well that's where i was at and i don't know if they picked up on that and then chose not to but basically they're like oh you seem repentant we're not going to put you on the care list at this time so i managed to get by with the skin of my teeth that went on their list but that broke my relationship with the church and that was kind of that was a moment where i was able to step back and go do i really need these people in my life is this helping me to mm-hmm. these people in my life so I stopped counseling then. And that is actually the last time I've gone to any sort of last counseling. Mm-hmm. My counseling experiences have been so traumatizing. And I have seen the secular counseling projects in this one here in uh, Sydney. I've looked at it a couple of times. And I've looked at this profile multiple times. But um, so. Because yeah, there is, I was going to say, there is the secular therapy project, isn't it? That's what you're talking about? Yes. Yeah. So you've actually never had formal sort of secular counseling since you broke from that church in D.C.? No, and I've been okay. Um, I think part of that is writing. Mm-hmm. Also having a very supportive partner and separating myself. There's a few things I've done that I've gotten myself to a much better place. And by then exiting the church, that helps me more than anything for good. Uh-huh. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, what What's your sort of religious status now because you're growing up in this very you know controlling religious environment i can identify with that i was the same thing going up growing up where are you at now you've left the church behind oh full-blown radical atheist (laughs) um if you look carefully at my bookshelf i'm sure you can find hitchens yeah hitchens dawkins and all that Um, yeah (laughs) i've got ocean i've got dawkins i've read everything dawkins has ever written and i got to see him in person is the best thing i got to meet peter pagoshian and i am still just so pleased very nice you're a (laughs) full-blown heretic now then i'm a full-blown heretic he signed my manual for creating atheists so i'm pretty pleased about it Um, (laughs) 
That's yeah. a huge part of the process, though, isn't it? It's the reconstruction after the deconstruction. That's that's kind of my whole thing, isn't it? You, it's, oh, it's not it just the the walking away from the faith. You've got to rebuild your entire life, which is a huge project. You do. You really do. And I yeah. did it at the same time that I came to Australia. So mm-hmm. I basically left that church very slowly, inched my way out of that church because I couldn't. I didn't want to go on careless still. So I attended, I had to attend services. If I didn't attend services, then I'd get on careless. If I sat long at all, I'd have to be put on careless. So I did a bit of a Europe trip, had an awakening in Europe, had a sexual awakening in Europe, mm. um, had a great time there, got away, bought three things, decided I wanted to leave organized religion, and then slowly eat my way out of the church by Showing up at services, saying hello to an elder, and then disappearing. Mm-hmm. Uh, did that for six months, and then moved to Australia, and that allowed me an out without getting excommunicated. I would simply find a church in Australia and think, "Oh yeah, no one knew of any churches in Sydney to recommend, oh, or nobody had contacts, contacts mm-hmm. to make sure that I was yeah. in line and touching base and all the things control." Yeah, yeah, you're, you're so, out from under that. You didn't go to Hillsongs. That's good news anyway. <laughs> I did not. Hillsong. That's a shit show in itself. It is. <laughs> yeah. and, oh, the, the Pentecostalism in Australia is crazy. I appreciate like, listening to uh, Tom Tilly. Is, um, mm-hmm. he's, he's on the radio here. In, I was to his podcast as well. And yeah. he written recently brought a book that I love, which is also on my bookshelf back here. And mm-hmm. one day I'll get him to sign it. Um, yeah. so Tom Tilly brought <laughs> Yeah, you know, tracking down, just leading that Hillsong, or not Hillsong, that um, Christian Revival Centers, and mm-hmm. speaking in tongues. I was so much of that resonated in having come from a fundamentalist background. So one brand of fundamentalism isn't that different from another brand of fundamentalism. Oh, yeah. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Where you're at in the world. Yeah. I could resonate. You know, we were talking about before me moving to the UK, you moving to Australia. I came out of a bad pastoral experience in the Portland, Oregon area. I was burned out. I was shattered in ministry and everything else. But coming over here, it allows allowed me to reinvent myself. You know, like you yeah. say, you, nobody knows you over here. Nobody knows you in Australia. You can you've got a clean slate in a way. That's a that's got to be a huge part of your sort of reconstruction as well, isn't it? It really was. And I've come over here, and it's I've started a new life. Really, I just yeah, new life from scratch, all new friends. I haven't really. I haven't done a very good job staying in contact with my people back home. And so that some of those people I definitely regret that when others not so much. But because I've been able to just take that huge separation step away, that has been so healing. And stepping away from religion is more healing than anything. Because once I was able to I when I stepped away from religion, I no longer had the shame and the guilt mm-hmm. and the burden of purity bullshit weighing down on me. And I was able to look more clearly at my own story and what's happened to me. And I've been able mm-hmm. to write it out and think through it. And reading, I've been reading through my old journals because I kept pretty extensive journals through those times. And, and like almost forgive that person in that journal mm-hmm. for her, um, for the old maybe. So while well, I haven't had, and maybe I should at some point get formal counseling, one thing that Australia has that America does not have this. I can get 23 sessions through Medishare. Mm-hmm. So at yeah. some point, I'll probably take them up on that. Um, yes, you can get counseling. It's as part of the healthcare system. 
it's not just about your physical health, it's your mental health and well-being that's hugely important, isn't it? Oh, yeah. And the resources in this country are so great. Mm-hmm. There's just so many more resources. Yep. And there's so much more acceptance of mental health issues. Um, yeah. Well, and I heard a lot a lot of those points in your story. You said you you blaming yourself for not speaking out and not doing this at certain key times, but given the place that you were in, it was a very dark place emotionally, physically, or psychologically, mentally. You can see that now, can't you? Looking back on your story, you know, it's not your fault. It wasn't your fault. You know, this guy was the abuser. You were the victim and you were being controlled in the whole thing. So the people around you badly let you down, really. That's what I heard out of the whole story. You were let down at multiple points on on multiple levels, really. Yes. The vast majority of the people I came across ended up letting me down. There are a few exceptions um, that friends that I lived with that helped me out is one of the key exceptions. I had a couple of other really good friends in that Papal Hill Baptist church that also did not let me down at my back. Mm-hmm. But by a long the church yeah. system let me down. All the people in authority let me down. Yeah, and then abused and exploited you for their own purposes. I mean, look at Nancy Wilson. She's, yes. you know, you've got this confidential stuff that she's leaking out. Doug Wilson turns around and writes it all over his blog. I mean, in the, the church in D.C., what what they try to do to you. I mean, it's absolutely unbelievable. Yeah. But it is the yeah. it's this Christian system in so many ways. You're talking about Christian counseling. So many of these people are absolutely unqualified from a just a counseling point of view. They shouldn't be counselors on any kind of level. And their solution yeah. is uh, read the Bible more, pray more put it in a bottle and put it at the feet of Jesus. I mean, I remember a Christian counselor told my ex-wife that when she was talking about her abortion and she was all torn up about that because, of course, in Christianity, having an abortion is a huge deal. And she said, you know, my advice to you is put all your pain and and anguish and sorrow and everything in a bottle and put it at the feet of Jesus at the cross. Just imagine that in your mind and you'll be healed from all your, (laughs) you know, that was her advice as a Christian counselor. (laughs) It, what does it that mean? That way, it's, it's, just think, read the Bible, and you'll get some sort of death out of it. And I remember like reading the story of Tamar, the woman that was raped by her brother, mm-hmm. and it all ends up like the one person that defended her and supported her ends up hanging by his hair and has his head cut off. <laughs> and then you're like, wow, there's no, there's really no compassion in the Bible for rape victims. No, victims. it's true. Yeah, you know, like, it's real trauma, and you can't like they tell you to go to the Bible for comfort. Where's the comfort? Where? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not for a sexual assault victim. That's no. for sure. Well, I know, you know, we said we were going to go about 45 minutes, but we've gone way longer than that. However, Not I think it's, it's, yeah, no, no, it's been really good because it's given me a chance to kind of get really deep into your story. I'm so glad that you shared all this stuff. I need to let you go though, because you've got stuff to do, I'm sure. But how can people find you if they want to get a hold of you on social media? Uh, they can use that. They can go to my blog, um, ED page on Medium. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's generally where I can be found. I, I'm, I'm on social media, but it's more Australian politics and less oh, right. um, this part of my story. So it's not the most useful for most people, I don't think. Yeah, and what I can do, I can put the links to your Medium articles as well in the show yeah. now. So if people want to read those articles, there's more details that we didn't even get into. It's an absolutely unbelievable story. I'm I'm so glad though that you're speaking out. That that's the main thing now is that's gotta be part of the the healing process, isn't it? It's telling your story after all the years of shame and blame and you know all the stuff that went that went on in your life. 
Yeah, that's been, I mean, that's been huge, writing it out, taking this time. Mm. I, I thought it would be much easier to write it down uh, when I started this project. So like, oh, I'll be easy. I'll write one, one month, and I'll write the next one the next month. No. So I wrote the one, and then it was like eight months before I was able to get the second one out um, in large part just because I realized there was a lot more um, shame mm. to help with. Yeah. So, so this, this peel process. Yeah, it's peeling back the layers of the onion, isn't it? I mean, I've worked through stuff that that was triggering me, you know, three, four, five years ago, and then some stuff keeps coming back. So I realize I've still got work to do. It's it's, it's a lifelong project. I think we're never going to be truly. It's yeah. a damage that we suffered in the purity culture, fundamentalism. Yeah. It, it's deeply damaging. Yeah, and I so appreciate like what you do, and I'm a, I'm a big podcaster, so mm-hmm. let, I'm found very helpful listening to different podcasts. Oh yeah, that have gone out and hearing their stories and hearing their stories of reconstruction and super sending mm-hmm. that has been incredibly healing. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much, Emily. I'm going to let you go. It's been longer than 45 minutes, but it's been so worth it. Thank I'm you for being the guest on the show. Yeah. Take care. You have a great day, and I will probably speak with you again at some point. Brilliant. Sounds good. Thank you so much for having me on.